This is a, uh, a harmony of the birth stories of Matthew and Luke. You may, get, you may be thinking, oh, we're reading this, but I remember the story about the wise men. That's in Matthew. Why is it not in Luke? This is the way those things chronologically fit together. What we're looking at, because we're looking at Luke, is everything in black. The stuff in dark blue is in Matthew, and you can see chronologically how those things fit together. That may be helpful for, for you. We're going to look at Jesus presented at the temple today, and then Jesus in the temple. We won't look, so all the things about going to Egypt and coming back and the wise men, that's all in Matthew. That all occurred when Jesus was two or three years old, probably about two years old is when all of that happened. And so we're not going to look at that, but if that helps you in terms of kind of getting your mind around uh, Jesus' early years, then for sure you can look at that. We're going to start in verse uh, 22 of Luke 2. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, that's Mary and Joseph, brought him, that's Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him, And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There was a prophetess, Anna, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, the family returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let me give you a little context. Forty days. So after 40 days after birth, a woman had to go to the temple and present an offering this doesn't sound great, but it was, a, it was a kind of a sin offering. It wasn't kind of. It was a sin offering. It's not a sin to have a kid, but there's all kinds of blood involved. And so there's got to be some purification for that because a woman was considered unclean for 40 days after her birth. So that's what Mary is doing. So after every child, you would go to the temple, and there was an offering that was set. Uh, we'll see this passage, Alex, if we put that up. This is from Leviticus. This is what... Joseph and Mary are being obedient to the days of her purifying. So that's 40 days after birth are completed, whether for a son or daughter. The mom will bring to the priest a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. So you got both of those. The priest will offer it before the Lord to make atonement for her. We're going to skip the next sentence. This is a law for her who bears a child, either male or female. If she can't afford a lamb... Then she'll take two turtle doves or two pigeons. That's what Mary brought. So Mary and Joseph at this point are still poor. We looked last week. Mary says, I'm lowly. I'm from a humble estate. 
The wise men haven't come. There's no gold. There's no incense or no frankincense. There's no myrrh. None of that yet. So they're still poor, and we see that in their sacrifice. And also, the firstborn son had to be consecrated. That's Exodus 13. You can see that on the screen. So the firstborn son was also brought to the temple and was consecrated to the Lord. And so that was a there was a sacrifice involved. It was more of a spiritual transaction than anything else, where as a family, you were saying, God, this son is yours, and in place of giving you to him physically, I'm going to make this offering, and then we take our son and we raise him. So there's a spiritual transaction more than anything else. Both of those things were going on here. That's what Joseph and Mary were doing, purifying Mary and consecrating Jesus. And so then we have two witnesses. The Old Testament says um, matters of evidence will be satisfied based on the testimony of two or three eyewitnesses. And I think that's what Simeon and Anna were really functioning as for Luke. There were two eyewitnesses. They were both older folks. They were righteous. They were devout. They'd both been waiting for the Messiah. Simeon, it says, was waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is, for God to come and make everything right. And he was going to do that by sending his Messiah. Anna was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That's a parallel statement, the same thing. God to send the Messiah and make everything right. So we have two reliable witnesses who see Jesus and they both say the same thing about him. That He's it. He's the one that we've been waiting for. And so Luke, in this story, pulls together two eyewitnesses to say Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. Even from six weeks old, he was recognized that way. What I want us to do is spend a little time looking at Simeon and Anna and where they're coming from and what that can say for us. Last week, we talked about this whole idea of developing a perspective that's grounded in the Word and inspired by the Spirit. And we see that same perspective with Simeon and Anna. It's explicit with Simeon, and so he's the one that we're going to look at. I think you can assume this in Anna, but we can see it explicitly in Simeon. Uh, Can you go back one? Thanks. So, over here on the left, that was Simeon's declaration about Jesus. And you can see what's in yellow are Old Testament references. So just in a couple of sentences there, you see Simeon referring to the Old Testament three times. What he sees is Jesus as the fulfillment of these prophecies and promises in Isaiah that God would save not just Jerusalem, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. That's a radical idea that God's Messiah would be not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, but because Simeon was soaked in the word, he was able to recognize that is what God is doing. And on the right, you see the activity of the Spirit in his life. Just in a handful of verses, we see the Holy Spirit was upon him. He, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. The Bible says he came in the Spirit to the temple. And then his opening words before he talks about Jesus are, Now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, and that was a a word directly to Simeon. If you read the Old Testament, you won't find that verse where God says, Simeon, you're going to live until you see the Messiah, and then you're going to die. That was something that God spoke directly to him. And so with Simeon, we see held together this grounded in the word, inspired by the Spirit perspective, which allows him to interpret these very normal everyday events. Every day, families were bringing their children to dedicate them. Every day, women were coming and presenting offerings in order to cleanse themselves from childbirth. There was all kinds of activity in the temple. It would have been a hustling, bustling kind of time, and Simeon is able, in the midst of all of that, to zero in on this little family, humble family, can't even afford the prescribed offering, and recognize in their six-week-old, that's, that's the guy. 
That's the fulfillment of this prophecy. That's the word that I've been waiting for. And we see the same thing in Anna, who had been waiting in the temple uh, for 60-plus years for Jesus to arrive. So we have Simeon being led to the temple on this exact day, Anna, who's always there, being led to Jesus on this exact time. You see the activity of God in that. And both of them, because they're wearing the right glasses, are able to interpret that event correctly. So for us, how do we develop that grounded-in-the-word inspired by the Spirit perspective. Let me give you a couple of handholds. We'll look at the left side first. And I would encourage you to grab onto one of these things. You can't incorporate all of this into your life at once. So look, look for one area that you feel like, ah, oh, this is a weakness for me, I want to grow. First thing is you can't be grounded in the Word without actually spending time reading the Bible. You can listen to it if, you, if that works better for you, but you've got to spend time getting the Bible into you. When you read what the Bible says about itself, it doesn't talk about it's different than any other book. It uses words like active and powerful, dividing, uh, bones for marrow, sharp. There's a picture when Jesus talks in parables when he talks about the Word of God, uh, seeds, again, living and active things that have power in and of themselves. And so there's something about the Bible that says just get it into you and it will do work. If you get the truth of the Bible into you, not just kind of memorizing up here, but really taking it into your heart, it will begin to form and shape who you are. And I can just say personally, that has been true. I've found that to be true for me over time. I can't necessarily point you to every chapter and verse, but because I have intentionally spent time reading the Bible over the course of 25 years or more, God has formed and shaped my heart in some ways. And there's plenty for me to go, and there are others here who could testify to the same thing. It's just different than any other book. And if you'll spend some time getting it into you, it will begin to have an impact on you beyond just you knowing a few verses or knowing a few stories. So first thing I would say is you've got to pick something that you understand. You can get bombarded with acronyms. If you go to the Bible, if you go to a bookstore and try to, Look in the Bible section, there's a billion of them. And you wonder, what's, how do I know? So let me try to help you. NIV, ESV, NLT. Those three. New International Version, English Standard Version, New Living Translation. That's what I would be looking at. Those three, to me, are the most readable. And I'd encourage you to check one of those out. Then I'm going to ask you to think about, strongly consider buying a study Bible. They're expensive. They're 40 or 60 bucks depending on where you get them. If you have a Kindle, you can download one for cheaper, but it will answer 90% of the questions you have when you're reading. The things like, why are they going to the temple? What does it mean for her to be purified? Those kinds of things that can trip us up, where we lose what God is actually trying to say to us through the Bible, because we just don't understand what's going on culturally, because we don't live in Palestine 2,000 years ago. You can get through a study Bible. I would strongly encourage you to get one, If you feel like that's going to make you a Bible nerd, if you carry it to church, you can have a smaller one that you bring into public. Does any any of y'all have study Bibles that you bring around? Do you carry them around? Yeah, you're a Bible nerd, though, but you don't mind. She is. She doesn't care. You can bring it around. We don't care. We'll make extra space for you. You can sit on the aisle if you bring your study Bible to church. But I would encourage you to get one. It is expensive. I think it's worth it. And the good thing is it never goes out of date, so you don't have to worry about anything like that. Can we see that? Go back, Alex. Start in a gospel. Most books, where do you start? The beginning. You start in the beginning with 
the Bible, let me tell you what's going to happen. In January, you're going to read Genesis, and you're going to like it. In February, you're going to read Exodus, and you're going to like it. In March, you're going to read Leviticus, and you're going to quit. You're not going to make it. It's an awful book, and you won't get through it. Don't do that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, pick one of those. Mark, if you have a short attention span. Shortest gospel, very little talking, lots of action. If you like talking, Matthew, five huge sermons that anchor Matthew. So if you want to hear what is Jesus saying, read Matthew. If you're flowery and poetic, read John. That's what he's, there's a lot of that in there. We're going to go through Luke, so you can have that. I would encourage you, pick one of those. And I would also say, don't forget the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Skip Judges, Ruth, Esther, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Read those. Those are history books. What we want to know is who is God and how does he interact with people. If you look at the Gospels and those books I just listed from the Old Testament, you're going to see this is how God interacts with people. It's very applicable to where we live. All of the Bible is inspired. It's wonderful. And you can, God will speak to you through all of those pieces. What I'm encouraging you to do for what we're talking about, which is developing this grounded-in-the-word perspective, it's way more, I believe, way more helpful for you to have a sense of who God is and how he acts than for you to know a few rules that you can memorize through from, at the end of Galatians. And that Galatians is wonderful. But it's, it can be easy when you're reading some of those things to fall into this habit of just saying there's do's and there's don'ts. And that's not what I'm trying to get you to do. If those are the glasses you're wearing, there's going to be situations that come up that don't fall under the rules. It's important for us to know who God is and how he acts so that we can kind of infuse our actions from that perspective because there's going to be situations that are not clearly laid out in the Bible. So I'm not saying don't read all of it. Absolutely read all of it. Just start there. And I would say go back to the Gospels every time. Read Matthew, then read something else, then read Mark, then read something else, then read Luke, and then read something else, and then read John and read something else. The Gospels, that's the best record we have of who Jesus is, and he's the one who, um, he's a standard for us. God's trying to conform us into his image, so the more time we spend in the Gospels, the better idea we'll have of what God's trying to do in our life. Last thing, not last thing, almost last thing. Ask God, whoops, you in a hurry? (laughs) Alex is going, come on, man. Uh. That's all the way at the end. So here's what I would say. As, um, ask God to speak to you before you read. You don't do that with any other book. You need to do that with the Bible. God, I need you to speak to me today. Show me something about who you are and how you, are, how you work through this passage. Don't quit if you feel like it's dry at times. If you don't understand, just pick something else. Just keep reading. Don't get hung up on that. And don't quit if you miss a couple of days. If in your mind you said, I want to read the Bible three or four days a week, and there's a week where you don't read anything, don't wait till next January to start. Just pick back up. It's fine. And over time, it, again, it, just, it makes a difference over time. You're not going to necessarily see some difference in the way you're interacting with people after five days. It takes more time than that to really work it into you. But once it, once it is worked into you, you will see a difference. On the right side, what are we talking about? How do we develop or cultivate um, this mindset of being inspired um, by the Spirit. First thing you can do is regularly pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's internal. That's saying, God, I don't have the resources necessary to be faithful or fruitful today, and so I need you 
to fill me with your spirit. Second thing, regularly pray to be led. That to me is much more external. That's how I'm interacting with y'all and everybody else. So the first thing is fill me. That's about me and the fact that I lack the resources to be faithful and fruitful in my life. And the second thing I'm saying is, God, now I need you to lead me in my interactions with other people and the way I'm interacting with the world around me. So I would say regularly pray for those things. Cultivate a listening heart. I don't know how that sounds to you. We listen to God with our hearts, not with our ears. The shepherd, he's a good shepherd. He's always speaking to us. You can think of it like a a radio dial. There's always... We just got to get on the right frequency. There's always something coming through. Our responsibility is just to tune the dial so that we can actually hear him. At the beginning, this will take discipline and intentionality on your part. Over time, it will become second nature. So if this is something new for you, I'd encourage you to carve out five minutes or less where you just say this. God, I want you to speak to me about my day. Here's my calendar. Here's what I'm doing. Is there anything in here? Any, anything that you want to say Uh, to someone else through me today in one of these meetings? Is there anything I need to do today that's not on my list? Is there anything I need to cut? Give him a chance to speak to you very practically about your day. Five minutes, that's it, or less. You don't need to spend an hour agonizing over this. Just, again, you're a good shepherd. You want to lead me. Green pasture, quiet waters, paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So today, you want to do that. Is there anything here that you want to speak to me about? And give him a chance. If something pops into your mind and it's good, then most likely it's the Lord. If it's sinful, it's not. But those ideas, and the next thing is I want you to, I want you to respond to those promptings. That's the hardest thing on that screen. Everything else is pretty easy for us to do. But responding to those promptings is difficult because you're putting yourself out there. And at some point, you're going to miss And you're either going to get embarrassed or you're going to cause some pain. Usually it's some combination of both. And when that happens, I don't want you to quit. I remember this time. If there was purgatory, this is what you get sent there for. I told a girl. I said, I really believe you're going to marry this guy. The stupid, that's the top three dumbest things I've ever said to anybody. You don't do that. But I was convinced. I'd heard the Lord. And she's married to somebody else now and so is he. That's how on I was with that. Dumb. But I can't let missing it keep me from trying again. Now, I learned some things. You never say stuff like that to anybody. There is no, there's no upside for her at all. There's, not one up, there's no upside for her at all. There's no reason for me to say that to her. It doesn't help her in, in any way. But there's a growing part for all of us. Where as you say, all right, Lord, I feel like you're putting on my heart. The, the thing that popped into my head as I'm going into this meeting is two or three words. And you're just going to say that to them. Hey, I was thinking about you today, and this is what popped into my mind. Does this encourage you at all? Does this mean anything, anything you want to talk about? And they may look at you like you're cross-eyed. And you'll just say, all right, I'll have a Coke. Or whatever when the server comes. You just move on. But when you get it, it confirms, hey, I, I, I can hear the Lord. I'm looking at somebody over here. I was, they were telling me last week, they asked somebody, they felt like God said, ask this person to go on your mission trip. And they went and asked them. And said, we feel like, does it, and they just, they said the response from this couple was like they were speaking another language. But it's fine. Like, it's fine. They tried. They stepped out and they tried. And next time they'll know. 
And it doesn't even mean that they were wrong. That doesn't mean that they were wrong that the people didn't respond. And so I want you to know that there's freedom there for you to move around a little bit. And at some point, you're not going to get the response that you're looking for. And I don't want that to cause you to pull back and quit. I want you to say, okay, I, I did not get the response I was looking for, so was I wrong? I was wrong. I never should have said anything to that girl. I was wrong in what I heard, and I was wrong in saying something too. These other folks, they might not have been wrong at all, but you want to process that with the Lord, and hopefully what the result is is you become more confident in the fact that he does want to lead you on a daily basis. So that's over time. This is what I want you cultivating, this grounded in the Word, inspired by the Spirit mindset, and pick one thing to start working on. The one thing, if it's low-hanging fruit for you, maybe that's a great place to start. And you can begin to build some momentum to putting on a new set of glasses, which will allow you to interpret your circumstances and events through the lenses of who God is and how God wants to act. A couple other things here on Simeon and Anna. When you think of Anna, the first word comes to your mind is perseverance or persistence in prayer. Those things are synonymous with one another. You can't look at her and not see that. She's married at 12 or 13. She's widowed at 19 or 20. She's 84 years old. At this point, the Bible says she's been in the temple all that time. If you just go conservative, and those numbers that Alex will put up on the screen are super conservative, you're talking about 120,000 hours in the temple. And it's more than that. I think if, you, if it was a more realistic picture, that thing says it's thir- about 13 and a half years that she spent. That's nonstop every second of every day for 13 years worshiping and praying and fasting. I think if you use more realistic numbers, it's more like 27 years from now to whatever that is, 2042. Every second of every minute of every hour of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, for 27 years fasting and praying and worshiping. God, I'm waiting for you to come and do something in our nation. When you think about her, that's what comes to mind. Persistence and perseverances are not necessarily traits that we... Um, cultivate as a society, not necessarily things that we value culturally. We're much more into instant gratification. It can be difficult for us. In Luke 18.1, we'll get there next year or so, Jesus says this. One of the few times that he tells a parable and says, here's why I'm telling you this. Usually he just tells the story and says, the parable and says, y'all figure it out. This time he says, I want you to know the reason I'm telling you this parable is so you'll always pray and never give up. The reason I'm telling you this parable is so you'll always pray and never lose heart. He wants them to know. That's why I'm telling you this. Why? So you'll always pray and never give up or lose heart. And it's a story about an unjust judge who has a widow in his town. And she continues to go to him and say, I want justice. And he doesn't care. He's unjust. But the Bible says, or Jesus says, I'm gonna, this unjust judge will grant her what she wants. Why? Because she's righteous? No. Why? Because she asks in the right way? No. He, asks, he grants what she wants because she keeps asking. And he's just tired of it. And so he says, all right. And then Jesus says, how much more will your righteous father respond to you? There's something for us about persistence. If you want to be, I'm not going to use the word successful, but if you want to see fruitfulness from the things that you're praying, you have to develop this muscle of persistence and perseverance. And if you say, why? Why doesn't God answer the first? That is above my pay grade. I don't know. I don't know why he says to Anna. It's going to take 64 years. And actually, it took 400 years of silence, even before that, thousands of years. He's at work. He's preparing a people, and he's he's doing things. 
But we don't see the culmination until Jesus is born. And so for you and for me, there absolutely 100% are going to be things that you're going to have to pray for for decades. Decades before you see anything. And you may die before you see anything. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, I believe, who were praying during the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. And every one of them died before Jesus showed up. Anna and Simeon both die before he steps into public ministry. There's Hebrews, talks about the heroes of our faith. And what does it say about all the ones in the Old Testament? Every one of them died before they saw what they were wanting. The thing that they most wanted, they died before it happened. And so there's... I don't understand cosmically how all of that works. I know prayer matters. And I know persistence in prayer gets results. We just may not see them. And so I'm trying, I want to be realistic as I encourage you and say you, we need to learn how to strengthen that muscle. Jesus said, you always pray and you never give up. They're enemies to persistence, though, beyond just our cultural things. A few things for you to think about. If you're an Anna or if you feel like if that's where you are today, couple of things to, for you to think through. One, disappointment makes it difficult to be persistent. At some point we say, is it really worth it? I'm tired. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. That's just a statement of fact. That's reality. It's difficult to get our hopes up. God's going to do something. And then he doesn't. And then we get disappointed. That, um, that's an emotional roller coaster that's hard to ride. Another enemy of persistence is sometimes routine can rob us of faith. Prayer is not informing God of things he doesn't know. It's inviting God to get involved. Prayer is invitational, not informational. And at some point, if we're praying the same thing over time, we kind of just push play. And the words come out, but there's no engagement with our heart. There's no, there's no active trusting in him to actually get involved. And so there's got to be some way for us to be persistent without falling into a rut. Think about Anna. Same thing for 64 years, 120,000 hours. Like, how do you keep that fresh? Maybe she worked through the different Old Testament promises about the Messiah. Maybe she's praying for him as an everlasting father, and then as a prince of peace, and then as a wonderful counselor. I don't know. But somehow, for us, we have to keep our heart engaged. It's not enough just to say the words. Jesus says in Matthew 6... God doesn't hear you because of your many words. That's what pagans do. They just babble on. What he's looking for from us is engagement, trust, faith. God, I need you. I want you to get involved in this situation. I'm inviting you into this. And so there's got to be some way for us, again, to be persistent and to pray for the same thing without falling into a rut. So for me, it's this idea of kind of holding on to the package and you just change the wrapping paper. Every now and again, when you start to get bored with what you're praying, then pray something different that still has the same heart. Another thing that can be an enemy of persistence is weariness. So for me, disappointment is really emotional. Weariness is physical. I'm just tired. I'm tired of carrying the ball. I, get, I, I wear out over time. Paul says in Galatians, don't grow weary in doing well. In due season, you'll reap. And so for us, it's that waiting on the due season that can be so, so difficult. I don't, there's no magic formula for this. There's no three steps and then you'll be persistent. The way you'll be persistent is to be persistent. And the way you'll persevere is to persevere. That's it. And as you persevere, your persevere your, that muscle will grow in you. There's no, again, there's no shortcut. There's no magic formula. You want to invite God in. God, 
I don't want to, it's hard for me. I'm up and down on this. I get hopeful, and then something happens, and my hopes crash. I can't keep riding the roller coaster. I want to stand firm. You've got to help me. You've got to help guard my heart through this. You've got to somehow help me know how to stay engaged with you, even though my heart's sick. God, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of praying for the same thing over and over and over and over again. You've got to encourage me or strengthen me. You've got to help me with this because I'm wearing out and I'm wondering, is it even worth it? The last one we'll see as we look at Simeon is this idea of expectation. For some of us, we're praying, but we want God to work in a very defined way. This is very personal and individual. For some of us, we're saying, God, I want a family. And in our mind, there's only one way he can answer it. Like, if it's not biological, then it's not, they don't, it doesn't count. Or if he doesn't come on a white horse, it doesn't count. If I've got to get on e-harmony, then God hasn't answered my prayer. Is there a way, and you're saying, that it's got to look like this. Provision, God, you've got to provide for me. That might not be money in your mailbox. It might mean selling your car. So what is that? What's he say? Is there a way for you to be expectant? God, you're going to answer this prayer without having expectations that it has to look this way. Think about Simeon. You're not going to die until you see the Messiah. What's the, who is the Messiah? A warrior king like David. It's a stud who's going to come in and wipe out the Roman army. And, who, and Simeon expects that 100%. I'm not going to die till I see the Messiah. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is upon him. So he goes into the temple. Who's he looking for? He's looking for the biggest and the baddest. He's looking for the guy that looks like he can rip your heart out. That's the guy who's got the biggest sword hanging from his belt. And then he sees a six-week-old baby and says, that's him. Think about that. Expectancy without expectation. That's very difficult for us to maintain. If you're going to be persistent in prayer, expectation is an enemy because you'll miss what he's doing. It, doesn't, it, it didn't look this way. And he'll, I answered that prayer like six months ago. It just didn't look like you wanted it to. So I want to be flexible in terms of the, what it looks like while still holding on to the heart and expecting him to work. We're going to wrap with this real fast. Now, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when Jesus was 12, so we we fast-forwarded 12 years, they went up according to custom. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All of who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus said, Why were you looking for me? Because you were lost for three days. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. He went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. 
Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Real quick, this is only in Luke. Very interesting. Luke's at his story and he's gathered all of this evidence. He's got all these stories. I'm trying to figure out why this. This is the first thing, the first act that we see Jesus intentionally undertaking. Everything up to this point, he's been a baby or he's been a toddler. People have said things about him, done things for him, to him. We haven't seen him independently say, I'm executing on anything except for this. So this is our first impression of him as an independent actor. So three times a year, Jewish men would go to Jerusalem to celebrate a festival. This is Passover. It's a day. Then there's a week of a festival afterwards. So at the end of the week, everybody's going home. Family, extended family, friends, acquaintances, all the folks who live in Nazareth. So it's a decent-sized caravan. They're all walking. They can go 20, 25 miles in a day. You can imagine if you were walking in that similar group, your kids would probably be in the back goofing around, and you'd be talking to the other adults walking forward. And then at night, everybody regathers around you know, their campfire or whatever for dinner. And so Jesus doesn't show up. And so Mary and Joseph start looking around. They check all the other campfires, and they don't see him. Nobody knows where he is. At that point, it's pitch black, dark. There's nothing they can do. No street lights, no headlights, no flashlights. So they don't sleep. The next day, they head back. I don't think they head straight back. I think they're looking in ditches, and I think they're running down side roads, trying to figure out, where, where is he? Then they get back to Jerusalem on the third day, just like if your kid was missing, probably the last place you would come is here. I think it probably wasn't their number one. I don't think their first stop was, oh, he's missing. He stayed in church. So they're looking for him in Jerusalem. They can't find him. They finally get back to the temple and imagine that, that mixture when they see him of relief that he's okay and I want to wring your neck. Those emotions, and they're ragged. They haven't slept in 72 hours. You know they haven't. And they see him. And he's cool as a cucumber with all these other guys. And they say, what have you done? And he says, why is it surprising to you that I'm here? What, where did you think I would be? What does that say about him? It's interesting, he's 12. At 13, a Jewish boy becomes a man. That's when he's responsible for upholding the Old Testament law. At 12, he's not under any obligation. I think it says something that before Jesus has to, he wants to. There's something there about him recognizing the special relationship he has with his father. When we see Jesus again, it'll be 18 years in the future. He's 30 years old. And he takes on these three years of massively fruitful public ministry. He's almost always in the spotlight. There's 30 years prior to that where we don't know anything, where he's cultivating relationship and identity. I'm not saying for us there's a 10 to 1 ratio, but there's something to be said for spending that time laying foundation relationally with the Father, identity as a son or daughter of God before we do anything in public, We see relationship and identity preceding any ministry, any service, any activity on Jesus' part. I think that's why that's here. I think Luke wants us to know, hey, before he had to do anything, before he was obligated religiously to do anything, he wanted to be with his father. And he recognized before he did anything, he didn't say I'm the son of God because I'm working all these tricks. He knew it. Before he did anything, and out of that sense of confidence and security as a son, he then went out and served and led others. And again, I think there's something there for us. Developing a grounded in the word, inspired by the spirit perspective is vital 
Persistence in prayer is vital. Obedience, service, ministry, all of those things are wonderful. But if they're not laid on top of a foundation that says relationship first. He's my father and I'm his son or daughter. If that's not solid, then all of that other stuff becomes performance-based. It's just activity. It's not, it, it, and it will wear you out. Um, let's pray. I want to make sure we have some time. We're running out. First thing, I want everybody to close their eyes. I want you to do this for me. If you would say today you're a Simeon, you need a personal word from God about your situation. Like Simeon, the Lord said to him, this is what's going to happen in your life. I'm not asking if you need a fortune teller. I'm asking if you need a word from God personally for you. Would you raise your hand? Okay, so this was not a um, bait and switch. But I do want you all to come. You can put your hands down. I do want you to come forward for prayer, and I want you to come to my right. And so I haven't asked any of you. Y'all keep your heads down. I haven't asked. Cheaters. I um, I haven't asked any of y'all to do this, but you really can't say no because I'm going to say your name over a microphone. Um, Our ministry teams are going to be to the left of me, and they're going to pray for Anna's. That is people who are saying, I know there's there's persistence, and I'm... Either I'm running short, I've given up, I just need to be strengthened. I I know there's an Anna thing for me. We want to pray for you to the left. And those are going to be our ministry teams. On the right, Hutchins, Moon, Kim, um, Gordon, Morris. I want you all to come to the right, and and people are going to come to you. Simeons will come to you. And they're they're not magic, and they're not going to predict your future. They're going to pray for God to give you a word. And the reason I called their names is because I know they're willing to share what God puts in their heart for you. So, again, they're not going to read the tea leaves of your life. They're going to pray that God would give you a word about your life. And if he puts something in their heart, they're going to share that. So let me pray generally for y'all. Ministry teams and those guys that I've called, if y'all would come forward. If you're totally uncomfortable, you don't have to. But I would love for every those names uh, to come forward. God, we want, I want to just, I want to pray. We're late, it's 12.30, but I want to pray for Anna's and for Simeon's. I'll pray for those, I'm thinking of how hard it would be to be Anna. And I'll pray for those in this congregation who are carrying burdens. People who they love, who don't know you. Situations where they want to see you work and you haven't. God, I pray that today, as they come forward for prayer, I pray that you would encourage them. We 100% pray that you would work in their circumstances. And until you do, God, I pray that they would stand firm. And there would even somehow be joy in their waiting. So would you meet them here today? And I want to pray for those who are saying, I need some direction in my life. I need you to speak clearly to me, Lord. I pray for these who are up here on my right. I pray no pressure for them, but I pray that you would anoint them to hear your voice and to encourage the people who are coming forward. And I pray for those who are coming forward, the Simeons, who are saying in faith, God, speak to me. I pray that you would do that. You do that today and over the course of the next day or so. I pray that you would speak very clearly to them about what's going on. They may be looking for you to talk to them about A, and you want to talk to them about B. So I pray there be enough flexibility in their heart to hear what you're saying. And God, for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would continue to help us all develop deep roots in you, that from a place of confidence in who we are as your children, I pray that we would then step out 
into service and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.